After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. Jean Prentice is a young designer who creates jewelry rich with history and stories of family. I was inspired by her commitment to her heritage, the team that has become her family, and her deep creativity. Jean, thank you so much for being on the podcast, especially on a holiday weekend. <laughs> of course. It's my pleasure. We're so excited to work with Capital. It's, it's really a dream come true. Likewise, when I saw the jewelry, I had never seen it before. And the girls came back from Las Vegas and it was sort of everything I'd always been looking for. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's so beautiful. And Jean, is it 18 karat? Um, no, our entire line is 22 karat gold. I could tell it was so warm and soft. The color was so, so beautiful. And it looked like, I have to tell you, <laughs> when I was in Greece, after I'd spent a semester in Italy, the only thing I wanted was this coin necklace that I had in my head that, you know, didn't exist. And then I found it and it looked so much like your work that wow. <laughs> I thought it's like that thing I was looking for when I was 19 years old. Right. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like that kind of those travel, you know, experiences or souvenirs rather, that's such a, a part of inspiration for me. Well, I also think that it looks so much like, I mean, I'm obsessed with Elizabethan portraits mm. and it looks so much like the jewels in Elizabethan portraits. Yes. I have a lot of uh, pins of those portraits on my <laughs> <laughs> You do. Yeah. Jean, where are you from? Um, so I'm from New York and my family's been New York based since uh, my you know, great grandparents came over from Greece on my dad's side. And then on my mother's side, uh, my they came over from Germany and uh, Canada. So we've been New York based for three generations now. And it's New York is such a, an inspiration for me with my business and everything's produced here. Wow. Yeah, we're, we're, we've got deep roots. So I grew up on Long Island, but just outside of the city. So any chance I had, you know, starting even as early as middle school, I would be in the city. And that started really with classes that I took at FIT. Oh, wow. I did a pre-middle school program there, if you can believe. What, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. After school program. <laughs> it was on, uh, it was like a two week program when I was 11 and I actually wow. uh, lied and actually I was 11 and I had to be 12 to enter, but I was so <laughs> desperate to go. I shouldn't say that actually. <laughs> get my parents in trouble. <laughs> Were you always interested in fashion? Yeah. I always loved, you know, just more so like self-expression through fashion, through objects, through decorating. It's always been an outlet for me to find out who I who I am through through what I like to collect and wear and design. Did you study fashion in school or did you go to school for? So I, I did like high school classes at FIT on the weekends, but there came a time where, you know, I feel like a lot of kids go through this, especially like, you know, I switched to bio. I went to school for a prior, uh, biology because it oh, felt wow. more, I always loved science, but it felt like a pressure almost then to yeah. go into something non-creative. And 
Um, so I, I, I tried that out for really just a semester. <laughs> um, but you know, when you're doing that college search, you're really looking for like, where am I going to major? What am I going to do? And I chose a school that had a really strong science program and a s- strong art program. Cause I always knew that was so me mm-hmm. creative pursuits. So when I went to school and I kind of was failing chemistry and whatnot. (laughs) I was like, you know what, this is just, this isn't working. So that summer I took a course in ancient metalsmithing, which is where I um, was really introduced to goldsmithing and it immediately resonated. Where did you go to school? I went to Skidmore College in upstate New York. Nice. How fascinating that they had that. Yeah. Oh, so no, I took that course in the city. Okay, good. I'm like, really? Skidmore? Okay. Not Skidmore. <laughs> it was a very small jewelry program, but I was lucky that they had one just in general. But um, yeah. And so when you went back that second sophomore year, did you go fully into art? Yeah. I immediately switched to studio art and kind of also focused in business as a minor. And I always had an entrepreneurial side that you know came from my parents they were both entrepreneurs or they've retired now and were they supportive your parents yeah they've always been supportive ever since I've been young you know I remember my dad was the one who found these FIT courses when I was in middle school Mm -hmm. or going into them and it was yeah they've always been very supportive of me in creativity or creative pursuits but also in you know businesses They've been so helpful having been business owners themselves. There's the creative part of the business, but there's also so much- You have to make money. <laughs> you actually have to sell the things. <laughs> yeah. So what was your what was your medium in studio art? What did you, were you a um, So painter? primarily jewelry. Oh, so jewelry, you could do it. Yeah, there was a jewelry concentration there. My bachelor's degree was in studio art, but yeah, concentration in jewelry and metals. I mean, I didn't start in gold. I mostly worked in brass because Hmm. the the brass is really difficult to work with by hand in terms of fabrication. But I was like, I must work in brass. It's like a yellow metal. And I've just been so drawn to yellow gold my whole entire life. So um, once I started working in it, gold itself or really 22 karat it was just like a match made in heaven wow had you had a love for jewelry growing up I would say jewelry my attraction to it really came from traveling and from visiting different museums the woman in my family certainly had beautiful jewelry um, but the jewelry that has inspired me for my collection it's one charged with history and story, which they have, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I just always was so enamored when we visit a different city and see the connection of like what might be at the British Museum and what's at the Met or what's at the Benaki Museum in Athens and seeing. I love the Benaki. Oh, it's so cool. It's my favorite museum. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And so I know just my little research of you that you have a really interesting family history. Yeah. The Prunus side of the family came to New York in the early 1900s and they came over from Greece. Uh, the Prunus family is from a small uh, village in Greece called Metzabu in Northern Greece. It's very mm-hmm. Alpine, um, 
It has a lot of Ottoman influences. So they came over and my great-grandfather, Otto Prunus, he worked his way up the restaurant industry at mm. where he kind of started out as a busboy. He came over at 13 years old and alone, really, and worked his way. So once he was older, he co-owned this cabaret club or supper club called the Versailles, which is where I get a lot of inspiration for my branding, um, the stories that go behind our packaging, the brand color, um, everything at the Versailles was this sage green, which mm. is so fun because when you look at the photos, it's all black and white, but the, <laughs> I have all of like the tablecloths and the silverware yeah. and the the menus. And then that's where the color really comes to light. And where was it located? It was in Midtown, which is where I am now. So uh-huh. like that connection, but it was right across from the Waldorf Astoria. It was one of Edith Piaf's first U.S. contracts. I actually brought her over to New York for her first American show. Wow. Yeah. And she had a bit of a residency there. And yeah, it was just like this star-studded, marvelous restaurant. And what was it that made it such a hot spot? I think, you know, the performers they had. And I mean, of that time too, just the glamour. It was one of those spots that was just to the nines. So people, (laughs) you know, flocked to that type of place. (laughs) Do you remember stories from your grandparents about it growing up? Yeah, my grandfather definitely, you know, he created such an extensive archive of all the headshots and the newspaper clippings from the club. So growing up, he would really take the time to educate me about our family history and, and the Versailles. So that was so important to my, to my, you know, design process and the brand now. Any, any favorite stories about people that were there other than Edith, Edith Piaf, which is incredible. (laughs) Well, I mean, I have this really beautiful letter from my grandfather that was to my dad to share with me when I was older of all the performers who were there. And, you know, there's over like 200 that I would say is my most cherished because I was, um, I was still like in middle school when they passed. So I didn't really, you know, maybe perhaps retain the, those stories or perhaps I was too young to hear of them <laughs> about what goes on in the club, but yeah, not so much, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely that letter. And then how does your family history and that, and sort of this um, legacy of entrepreneurship, how did that influence you in starting your own brand? I'd say I launched Prunus really as a vehicle to tell these stories of my love for antiquities and my family heritage. Um, And it feels like an ongoing conversation that I'm having with my grandfather to thank him for this archive that he's left me and my family. And also, yeah, it's, it's a way for me to connect with my parents to be able to have their advice on business decisions and and strategy. Were your parents were they in restaurants? Oh as well? no, so they no. Um, they were not. Yeah, they. My my father um, was in software, and then my mother was in um, pharmaceutical advertising. So not, <laughs> so absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> that was more your biology part of your brain. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And so right out of Skidmore, did you start your collection right then? Um, you know, about a year and a half later. So for a year and a half, I had worked 
and interned, well, freelance then for other designers. All jewelry? Uh, two jewelry jobs, yeah, you know, for design. And then I also had some odd jobs. But throughout that year and a half, I was designing for family and friends, doing special mm-hmm. commissions. You know, I'd, I'd dedicate like a day or two to those projects for my own self. And yeah. it just felt like a natural progression to really build out a collection. And how did you know how to do that? I mean, was that, did, had you learned that at Skidmore or did you know that from interning or like? How interning did- really was pivotal in being able to see how certain businesses operated. And I, I wish I did have, you know, say a few more years under my belt of working at other businesses because I did launch the brand quite young, but we've been really, you know, able to craft what works for our team now. But yeah, the internships were very helpful to see. Like I worked at one startup where I was the first intern. So I got to see how she organized her her business. And then I also worked at a much larger like corporate designer. Yeah. So having those two experiences were really important. And to, and I think jewelry, so it seems so simple, but it seems also a little complicated in that, you know, for me, I only wear rings and earrings. I mean, sometimes, next, I don't know, like there, there are certain things that you really love and prefer, but to, to understand how to merchandise an entire collection and how to build a collection that makes sense, even if there are things that you don't if you don't wear bracelets or, you know, things like that. And to understand why that's important. Was that something innate in you or did you have to have a team in order to understand that part of it? Um, I think that was innate in the, you know, first couple launches I did of of our different chapters, we call them. So each chapter is kind of a continuation of the story we're telling uh, through, through the jewelry. But as time moves on, my team definitely helps kind of yeah. died. Hey, we need some like we need some under ten thousand dollars. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they definitely help keep me grounded and keep a nice range of peace. Yeah. But one thing that I love to use as a source of inspiration that I mentioned is like these historic or institutional museum collections like uh, at the Met per mm. se where you don't necessarily see like a matchy matchy collection. And I love to like create chapters or collections that are a bit mix match. So everything has say the same component to it, but I like to use say like one word. Uh, So right now we're designing a collection where it's about twists, like twisted Mm. wire or uh, rope. So that I like to dissect um, and analyze in different ways. So not everything is going to incorporate a twisted element. And I always think that's so complicated too for me. I I talked to Brent Neal about that. Like, how do you know when something looks like you other than that you, that you made it, I guess, like I, I, the language of jewelry is so subtle, but also like, how do you know when you introduce a new collection that it really feels like Prunus? Right. You know, I, I hope that like sticking to my intuition of design and when I did launch, I really took the time to create a brand DNA, you know, like conscious luxury. There are certain words that fill out, you know, that box, I'd say, um, where contemporary, but refined homage or ode to classics you know, and then within that, there are certain like stones or techniques that I set boundaries mm-hmm. with 
that we use within the collection. So everything will always have a matte finish that, you know, shines as you wear it and the piece is finished after you're wearing it. Um, So making sure that each new design fits these, these points. And every time you introduce a new piece, do you literally go through each of those words and make sure that they fit? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a handful of pieces that (laughs) <laughs> we've designed fully finished and I'm like, you know what? No, we can't, we can't launch this. It doesn't feel like me or us. Yeah. 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 yeah at this point it's a team. Yeah. Do you, do you still make everything by hand? Um, no, but I do development. So um, in terms of our actual like collections production, we, everything's made in New York and that's something I'm committed to. I love how historical the jewelry industry is here in New York and we work mm-hmm. with a beautiful team of artisans and, you know, most pieces touch the benches of like three to five different wow. people. What part of the process, the creative process is the most important to you? Hmm. <laughs> what comes to mind initially is like the grounding process to get into the headspace for creativity, because as I mentioned earlier, like there's the creative side of the business and then there's the selling side of the business to enter each one. I have to really, you know, mentally prepare myself and set kind of the atmosphere. So for, for inspiration and and creativity, I have certain just like grounding practices, like either I meditate or these things called brain dumps where it's just a really (laughs) nice cleansing of my brain to then like see what you know to create anew then and is that a practice that you learned um in art school in college or is it something you developed on your own something i developed on my own and with help of like uh i I worked with this life coach who's really helpful she's like a creative life coach amazing tell me about that (laughs) oh i mean she's wonderful um she really just helps me, um, you know, keep my creativity and and through practices, because it's so easy in a small business and a small growing business to get lost in, you know, the minutiae. Yeah. All the processes. Right. Exactly. So taking a moment, pausing, creating time to be creative is so important. So she helps me create that kind of structure for myself because I, I'm definitely a creative first and it's, it's, you know, a bit, <laughs> it can be, I don't know how to, to, to call, you know, me waving my hands. Cause I know no one. <laughs> the, yeah. It can be hand wavy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Jean, the fir- the first piece that you made that felt like it was your first piece of the collection because you said you were making things for family members. But what was the first piece that really? Felt I'm actually like? wearing it right now, so that's helpful. Oh wow! And I like to wear this during interviews because of that. It is the first mm. piece I made. It's the first one that felt like, wow, this feels different from what's out there, and this feels like me. But um, it's our rune ring, um, which features now. You know, it, we offer it in a six-sided version or an eight-sided version, but it's this ring that I designed to look like it was found from an archaeological dig. Um, so it's misshapen. The bezels on the, you know, 
where in which the cabochons are set are they definitely have a heavy mark on them so I left tool marks and with intention to have the piece feel aged and storied so that when I made it while I was making I was like oh you know this this feels like you know maybe to one person that it's botched but to me (laughs) like the beauty and the imperfections of the piece which is what I feel like our collectors really appreciate. I don't necessarily do it to the extent of my first piece anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like things are misshapen or um, dented or whatnot. But I think the hand touch uh, of handmade pieces is really important to leave. And those idiosyncrasies are are cherished by our our clients. Because so much of like, say, mass produced pieces, they have like just beautifully polished you know yeah so this is definitely the opposite when it feel and it, i'm sure it feels like it's yours from the minute you put it on right yeah it, is it pink tourmaline so these are actually garnets yeah oh wow they're, they're really pale oh, garnets and tell me about stones do you have stones that you love the most i love tourmalines you just yeah, yeah. i do too there's so i mean there's so many different colors exactly oh i love a yellow tourmaline too <laughs> <laughs> um, sapphires are great especially because they're so very colored like I love a yellow star. sapphire yeah yellow sapphire star sapphire mm. one year in Tucson bought this whole parcel of tumbled sapphires that Ooh. like in every different color <laughs> and I just <laughs> love them because they're they're also organic in form but not too organic in form it's like you know this perfect middle ground but um yeah, I'd say sapphires and tourmalines. I love aquamarines and I've gotten really into turquoise in the past couple of years. Uh, me too. Yeah, we're working on some <laughs> exciting turquoise earrings for you as an exclusive. That- oh, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of stones and, and the jewelry industry, is there anything exciting about the future of jewelry and the jewelry industry that keeps you coming back? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing here that's, really interesting that it has kind of opened my mind more during the pandemic as a need to source new material, but not new, but old material. That yeah. So we see that with our clients um, who bring in heirloom stones. To me, it's, it's so important to use what exists. And so I've been now trying to use that as one of those new DNA points of like, can we find this as a, a dead stock stone or post-consumer stone does it exist somewhere else outside of something modern or newly mined material? So right. looking towards that way with like a sustainable mindset, but also, you know, often the pieces that are dead stock or post-consumer or antique materials have a very different uh, feel to them. They're, they're romantic. The cuts are so much different from what we see now. And so it's so unique and, I think, you know, that's something I've been trying to source more with in terms of stones and kind of with a future mindset for how we can keep, you know, sustainability out of the core of our our business. And do you believe like Marie-Helene Tayak that stones carry memories and and powers? Because I, I, I don't know if I told the story when I spoke with her, but I had, she made this incredible sapphire ring for me ages ago. Mm. And um, it, it was really spectacular. 
And I, it was stolen by a masseuse, a massage therapist. And I was, it was one of the more devastating things in the world. Really, it was so upsetting because it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And and I saw Marilyn, you know, several weeks after it happened and I was crying, telling her about it. And she said, oh, no, no, no. It, that stone wasn't meant for you. I mean, she said, right. it, she said, you know, I feel sorry for the person that stole it because obviously <laughs> now they have whatever was in that stone. But I always thought it was like the best lesson. Right. <laughs> you know, way she, of looking at it too, you know? And she, she wasn't disturbed by it at all. She was just like, oh no, that, that was not meant for you. Right. We thought it was, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I think about like, I mean, even like Golconda diamonds and, you know, old, old mine diamonds, you think like, wow, these, these were mined in the 1700s. Right. I mean, like, it's so incredible. It is. It's stunning. And, and passed from family to family. I mean, right. the know, legacy families. of yeah. stones is so incredible. Yeah. And answering your question about stones, I guess I, I look more towards the gold that we use. Yeah. Um, so I, I love looking at the gold as, you know, this enhancement of the stone, but also as the focal point. And together, they just create a beautiful energy. Yeah, because I, I think the gold is what I find to be so grounding my favorite part of the piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you can tell because yeah. the gold is so beautiful. Right. So uh, the fashion industry is tough. What continues to to make you motivated and inspired to to stay in it? It's a it's a tough business. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's a lot of hard work too. And I I think you know there's so many things, but in particular, it's our the collectors we work with, the you know the the relationships, the you know retail partners we work with. And how we all kind of inspire each other uh, with the the goal of sharing and selling and creating beautiful objects for people to carry legacy, intention, and stories in. Um, giving someone a vehicle to be able to share, say, the excitement of a firstborn or a marriage. Mm. Giving people these objects is so rewarding. I love working with people in that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, often we have clients come into our showroom or we'll work with, uh, you know, our retailers who are working with a client. And I just love hearing the story or the intention behind the piece. Or like my client is looking to renew their vows and they're looking towards to this band and X, Y, Z, like the reason mm-hmm. why um, yeah. is, is why what keeps me inspired and motivated is to keep being able to create pieces for their reason why. And well, well, and, and something like that, you know, I mean, the person that's with them constantly yeah. after you 24 hours a day, you look at it all day long. Right. I mean, it's a real part of their lives. Exactly. And, and that's also like, I design with that intention, um, knowing that this is not, you know, not part of it's part of their their life now it's part of their yeah their story and I've never heard a client of ours be like what will I wear this with you know <laughs> like oh you wear it every day you don't have to think about it especially with the gold I mean I think I do hear it a little bit with stones yeah. sometimes people will say like oh I don't, I don't know if it'll match right. enough things or like but gold all of the yeah, things all- <laughs> <laughs> so- what does success for prudence look like for you? Is there a milestone that you'd want to reach or a feeling that you'd like to have? 
I feel like we are succeeding and I'm, I love my team dearly and coming to work every day feels like success because we, it just feels like family. Um, yeah. So in a way, I feel like that right now is we, we are achieving success, but moving forward, you know, adding to our family, growing our team, that growing our collector base and our connections yeah. with people are definitely, you know, my goals for success. Um, right now I, I'm trying to remain focused on jewelry, but I'd love to, <laughs> you know, expand into scent interiors to create a full experience of Prunus, um, mm -hmm. what that means. So I try to do that in other ways right now with uh, different collaborations, but it would be great to, to fully dive into those. I was telling somebody jewelry is a long game also because I think you you know you people typically buy things for occasions right and it takes almost a year to know how much you loved a piece right. you know, and to say you know I've worn that every single day I'm definitely gonna buy another piece from Prunus right you know? exactly yeah and and so it's it's a it really is a long game it's not kind of like oh that sweater is really soft I'm gonna get another one yeah <laughs> <laughs> very it's like I have loved this piece I want more exactly you know once you buy one piece and that's like how I like to design as well is that everything works together um, mm. you, you can buy any three of our rings and wear them all together um, it's not going to feel misplaced or yeah. mismatched I have a really important question. Uh, can't wait to hear your answer. What did you wear to the prom? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not going to believe this, but I wore a gold dress. <laughs> no, you did not. Oh my gosh, yeah. Jean. I love that so yeah. much. Oh my gosh. I, I, 22 carat. It was, no, it. I mean, it looked like 22 carat. It was, I don't know. Do you remember Filene's Basement? Of course. Uh, my favorite. So, <laughs> I Me too. Yeah, <laughs> loved it. So I found this gold Missoni knit dress that wow. strapless and kind of a wrap. <gasps> oh, and it was. How did it stay <laughs> up? Missoni, because it was knit, right? It was knit, but it had kind of like a corset uh, wow. top to hold up. And, oh. oh my gosh. Yeah. And what else? Did you wear jewelry? I did. I, okay. So my, the earrings I wore <laughs> were from Henry Bendel. Uh, miss that <laughs> I know I did too yeah um they were these long gold chandelier earrings and oh. I can't remember what shoes but probably gold I've, I've you know been loyal <laughs> to gold since the beginning <laughs> old friends BFF. our old friends God, that is so good that that's probably one of the chicest prom dresses I've heard about did you have your hair up I had it halfway up, yeah. Wait, and did your date just have a regular? Yeah, sex he just wore a dress. Yeah, you didn't make him wear a gold bow tie. Should have. I should have. Yeah, <laughs> you should have. Oh well, thank you so much. Oh, of course, thank you, and we're so excited to have our collection at Capitol. What we wore is produced by Capitol and Balto Creative Media. The original song, "Someone So Enchanting." was composed and performed by Britt Drazda.
queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Queen City Podcast Network.